My name. My. <laughs> I know where you're going. My name is Enigma. Enigma Mentoya. Or what's his name? It, I gotta, that's why I couldn't say it because I was like, I don't remember his name. Welcome back to another episode of Ghost Race in the South. Yay! I'm Robin. And I'm Lisa. And we are back for another episode. Episode 11. That's right. Is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I hope that you had a chance to listen to our re-intro episode and then also our episode 10. Mm. So, Robin, what have you been doing since the last time we got together? Social media. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, check out our social media account. She has been busy posting and doing the things. <laughs> That's doing- right. That's right. It, it may come as a surprise to you guys, but we don't have like a social media team that works around the clock on our social media. <laughs> we might have fooled you, right? Right. But right. nope, it's us. So <laughs> come, come out there. Come engage. Come like. It's us. <laughs> yep. No one else is making that beautiful content. Except for us. <laughs> Let's see, we've got Thanksgiving coming up. Happy Thanksgiving. This will probably be out after Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for, Robin? Uh, caffeine. Yes. Very thankful for caffeine. That's an I can't important. go a day without it. Um, and, you know, other runner-ups like family. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good runner-up. It's a close second. <laughs> but no, of course I'm thankful for family, thankful for friends, thankful for Lisa, this I'm- podcast. I'm thankful for you too. But mostly caffeine. Yes, that's caffeine and then wine. Mm-hmm. It's like a, <laughs> you can't go wrong with either either one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to pick me up. You need to, what, put you down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> what are you thankful for, Lisa? Uh, I'm thankful for wine. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I were to choose between caffeine and wine, it'd probably be wine. And then, of course, you know, family and health. And health, yeah, all the things. Can't forget about the health. Yeah. So, but I am thankful for this podcast, and I'm thankful for Robin <laughs> and our social media team, Robin. And then, of course, everybody that's listened to our recent episodes, we're very thankful that you guys are tuning in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun to look at the analytics and see how, like, how far the reach stretches because we've got people. Across the world, not just south of the Mason-Dixon. There's people interested in the south all over. Yep, people are listening to us everywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hope you like the new format. Hope you like the way that we're doing it now. And we're looking forward to just continuing this. It's I'm I'm enjoying it. The random city is has been really fun. Like I said, finding a a new haunt. Mm -hmm. We're still waiting on that app. So. Still waiting on that one specific app, the Southern City Random City <laughs> Generator. <laughs> one that we don't have to filter through. Um, I brought my Ghost of the Month. That's right. We talked about that in the last episode, right? Yeah, yep. I'm, I'm getting a new ghost every month for my ghost collection, and I'm going to share it with y'all. This month is a ghost that is also a coffee mug. I love it. It's functional and cute. 
And I got it for $5 at the Target, if anybody wants to know. <laughs> You'll uh, see a picture of it on social media. Our social media team is working really adamantly and hard, making sure that this is a continued release of the Ghost of the Month. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. You can't miss out on that. Target's not a sponsor. We don't have any sponsors. But if Target wants to sponsor us, then that's fine. So yes, Target hit us up if you want us to sponsor because we know that we know that we are at the top of your list of sponsorships. Mm-hmm. Don't be intimidated, Target. We, I know we're in high demand, but don't be intimidated. Yeah, give you us a shot. Miss every shot that you don't swing at. <laughs> uh, Michael Scott. Make like a tree and get out of here. <laughs> um, so anyway, besides the new sponsorship from Target that we do not have, um, Robin and I had some fun over Halloween, and we did a uh, a wonderful, beautiful, very classic, very inspirational, very just amazing photo shoot. And I hope that... Y'all are checking out our social media because we have posted several photos of it. I like the way that you built that up. (laughs) If that doesn't bring the people to social media, I don't know what will. Um, You may have seen that trend. I I saw it on TikTok mostly um, of people doing like a ghost photo shoot where you get, you know, a couple of white sheets and go and do some, some fun pictures with your friends. And so we did that. We did. We dressed up in sheets. And we went and took photos, and Robin's lovely sister was such a good sport during the whole time, because nobody could see us, but everybody could see her. That's right, because we used my actual sheets that we use, because I'm too cheap to go out to Target. And Even though if I needed to, I would go to Target, because they've got such a selection of I know. bedding. I know. Target <laughs> is just amazing. But, um, so we used, uh, sheets that I actively use and I didn't want to cut holes in them for that purpose. So, <laughs> so we were completely just blinded out there. We just threw them over our heads and used some props. And so my sister had to strategically, um, lead us. <laughs> <laughs> I know we couldn't see anything. Um, ran into a couple buildings, ran into each other. <laughs> Sometimes just stood there waiting for, you know, some direction and somebody to just take your hand and let you know where to go. (laughs) It was really fun, though. I I had a good time doing it. And like I said, Robin's sister was a really good sport (laughs) while we were doing it. So so we got some good pictures and we still we have several photos. So we just put a small collection of what we did. Oh, yeah. Like, I think we had 500 photos that we took that day overall. Yeah, she, she overachieved on that one, mm-hmm. let me tell you. So if so. you if you go to our social media and you start seeing those ghost photos, that's not just us reposting a trend that we saw. That is, that's us. That's us. We're under the sheets. We are. Take a guess who's who. Yeah. You, know? you can see a little personality in each one of those yeah, sheets. Yeah, for sure. So. The different personalities. There's like, yeah, that's, that's Robin. But yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. That was a, that was something different, and I really enjoyed it. It was all the fun of being on camera without actually being on camera. Oh, yeah. You were covered up. Yeah, like, like I said, you know, your sister had to be the one that was being seen the whole time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was pretty hilarious. Because <laughs> there were, this was a really nice weekend. The weather was perfect, and so there were people out in the same location that we were, uh, like, taking their wedding photos. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then, so my sister, poor thing, was just out there and people were staring at us. But Lisa and I didn't feel bad about it because we were under the sheets. So yeah. my sister was the one that was getting all the stares. Yeah, couldn't see anybody uh, making weird faces or of disapproval or that we were crashing their wedding. Sorry. We had a few people yelling at us, but we couldn't even see them or anything. No. <laughs> so, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It was fun. So... Besides that, um, can you think of anything else? Anything paranormal happened to you recently? No. Well, all right. No. (laughs) (laughs) Did something happen to you that you want to share? Nothing has happened to me recently. Um, You know, in our re-intro episode, I shared about, you know, being woken up and uh, that wasn't pleasant, but nothing else has happened to me. It still doesn't stop me from sleeping with the light like on though. So I'm still doing that. Well, shout out to one of my coworkers though. She tells me about some things that have been happening to her <laughs> recently. Really? <clears throat> at her house. Yeah. You know, just weird stuff. Just, just, just your usual, just everyday little at home haunt. So, is it a haunt or is it like a poltergeist? I don't know. So we need to analyze that a little bit more. Do we need to have her on? Maybe. Ella. Yeah. Not I'll talk not. to her about it. Okay. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, no, nothing. Nothing has happened to me. But um, not that I'm just welcoming it. But yeah, no. So we'll just do a little check in every once okay. in a while and okay. see. You know, yeah, anything no. happened to you? No. 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 Okay. no. I did do a poll. On if uh, Bigfoot was real at my work. And um, it was neck and neck till the very end. It was tied until the very end. I was waiting on one per- one person's answer. And um, they broke the tie by saying no. So oh. most of the people at my work don't believe in Bigfoot. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Um, You know, I think I believe in something. Something's out there. I don't know if it's like a proper Bigfoot, but... There's got to be some sort of big creature out there. Yeah, that's kind of one of the answers I got when I was doing this poll. And I was like, yeah. so yes or no? <laughs> I know, I know. And you know, if, if you if you talk about like, I don't want to say like biblically or anything, but there's that, there's that Bible story about Cain who was doomed to roam the earth. And so I have heard that theory that people think that Bigfoot is actually just Cain. Oh. And he's been walking around for, uh, you know, a very long time. So he's hairy now. Oh. But anyways, maybe we should do a poll on social media. About Bigfoot? Yeah. Okay. um, I will send a note to our social media director and see if she's available to do that. You know, it's a a large team, a large operation. So You should get on that social media director. (laughs) working on that give the people what they want (laughs) bigfoot is regional to north of the mason dixon line isn't it on everything that i have looked yes it's more of a northern thing but in alabama there's supposedly a bigfoot sighting and he's called the alabama white thing (laughs) with an a i yeah you heard me right the white thing the white thing yeah look it up it's a thing we'll talk about it one day okay okay So, yeah, so that's just been a little bit of what's been going on. Ghost of the Month, Ghost Photo Shoot, mm-hmm. Bigfoot. So, why don't we go ahead and want to start going into our stories? Oh, yeah. So, you remember when at the end of the previous episode, we did our random city generator, and Lisa got Columbus, Georgia. Mm-hmm. 
And I got Columbia, Missouri. And I, I was good this time. I stayed within the city <laughs> limits of Columbia. I did not go outside. I used my one. So <laughs> I was stuck. <laughs> I think it's interesting that we both got, Col- you know, Columbia, Columbus. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I got Columbus, which we've already done a story right. that we realized in Columbus, Georgia, in episode three about the Springer Opera House and the Fisher House. Mm-hmm. So neither one of those big stories are going to be part of this. So I really had to do some digging because, you know, the Springer Opera House was like coming up on everything Yeah, that I was looking at. So I really had to do some digging. I had to buy a book. <gasps> you bought a book? I bought a book. <laughs> Look, there, there's the book right there. There's the book right there. Um, it's called Legends and Lore of Columbus, Georgia mm-hmm. by Faith Seraphin. Yeah, Faith Seraphin. So um, I'm really glad I bought this book. It was um, not only had helped me out with my haunt, but it had a lot of other interesting stories about Columbus, smaller stories that I didn't hear about. But anyway, I guess I'll go ahead and get into it. Let's. So let's go to Columbus, Georgia. Hmm. Okay. Columbus, Georgia was founded in 1828 near the Chattahoochee River. And I hope that I am saying that correctly. You are. That is it Alan Jackson? Way down yonder on the Chattahoochee. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Okay. But that's, yeah, you said it right. (laughs) I did not. I have not heard that song, so I don't know. Sure. Uh, Shout out to Alan Jackson. (laughs) It is, in fact, near the Alabama state line. Yeah. I think we talked about that in episode three. We were all like, we don't really know. It is also home to the Springer Opera House that we discussed in episode three. Mm -hmm. I found some very funny, outdated laws in Columbus, Georgia. I just wanted to share because I thought they were funny. Please. (laughs) I can't wait. So it is apparently illegal to take someone else's roadkill. (gasps) Uh, okay. If you kill it, it's fine. Like, if it's your roadkill, like, yeah. you can keep it. But if you take somebody else's roadkill... Like, if somebody else hit yeah. an animal with a car, you can't stop and take it. No. Oh, okay. That's illegal. Interesting. Yep. Blowguns are not allowed in the city limits. Hmm. I don't know if they got a blowgun problem there or not. I don't know <laughs> what's up with that. Um, you cannot cuss over the telephone. What? <laughs> what it says. You're not allowed to wear a hat in a movie theater. Oh, well, that, that's just common courtesy right there. Well, yeah, but people do it. Um, it is also illegal for a person to be buried under the sidewalk in a cemetery. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then here's the last one that I have. It's illegal to have a picnic in a cemetery. Oh, huh. I wonder why. I don't know, but I would be arrested for that. I've I've seen people do that. Yeah. I think I've actually done that once I've before. I've done that. Yeah. I'm fascinated by old cemeteries. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't have a picnic there all the time, but I will yeah. take a stroll through them. I've seen people do it, and I, I always think that it's like they're just going and having like a little, little maybe at like a birthday or something for their loved one. Yeah. Like somebody that's recently passed, and they just go out there and they have food. and yeah. yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but apparently it's illegal in Columbus. What's up with that? I don't know. I thought it, I just thought those were very interesting, uh, very funny, more more so. The location that I want to talk about in Columbus, Georgia, is the Wolf Oak Plantation. It is also nicknamed the House of a Thousand Cadavers. Um. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you would think 
with a nickname of the House of a Thousand Cadavers. Mm-hmm. Like, there's going to be all kinds of this just amazing research out there for it. Um, that is not the case. Hmm. This is more like an urban legend type thing. Gotcha. You know, there's no concrete evidence of anything, but, mm-hmm. you know. The Wolfolk Plantation is actually named after John Wolfolk. He was one of the original settlers in Columbus, Georgia in 1828. John Wolfolk originally sent his nephew, Sowell Wolfolk, to Columbus to kind of search for a place to figure out where he wanted his plantation to be. He originally lived in Virginia. Well, I've got conflicting sources. Mm -hmm. I heard that he originally lived in Virginia, and then one, I think, said he originally lived in North Carolina. I really just think that there were just two John Wolfolks out there that just happened to have the same name and then moved to Columbus. I don't know. So after Sowell found the property for John to move his family to, along with his possessions, and that even included his slaves that he had, um, Sowell actually ended up staying in Columbus, Georgia, and became a um, state senator. Hmm. But um, two years later, after coming to Columbus, he was actually killed in a duel at Fort Mitchell, Alabama, by a Major Joseph Camp. So, as I was doing research on this, I was like, a duel? Yeah, yeah, that piques my interest. I know. Um, But apparently, Fort Mitchell was, like, the place to go back then for, like, gentleman quarrels. Mm, Okay. Like, that was, like, the manly thing to do, I guess, was to go to Fort Mitchell and just duke it out, either by fisticuffs or with guns. (laughs) (laughs) It was apparently a great honor to be in a duel at Fort Mitchell at the time. Did it say why they were in a duel? I could not find what the disagreement was about. No. Yeah. It did not, it did not say. But with, with him being the senator, I'm sure there was some kind of political... Maybe. ...altercation. So anyway, so he was killed. Didn't win the duel. Did not win the duel. Hmm. Amateur. Hmm. But the person that actually ended up killing him was killed in another duel a yeah. year later by somebody else at the same place, I think. Back to the plantation, the Wolf Oak House was built between 1837 and 1840. It was a two-story Greek Revival type home. Oh, very much like the McIntyre House. Very much like the McIntyre Episode House. Episode one. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> it had floor-length windows, 28,000 square feet of living space, the large white columns on the porch, had east and west verandas, you know, just Mm -hmm. very, very posh, I guess. The main urban legend around this house is that the property owner, either John Woolfolk or his son, used to torture slaves and bury them in the backyard. Um, It was said, I've got conflicting reports on this too, it was said he had at least 180 slaves on the plantation, but another report even suggested that he had 700, but I guess you would never really know. Yeah. The plantation was 70,000 acres. It was quite, quite mm-hmm. large. Of course, I couldn't find any tangible evidence of any of this. But, you know, we know back then, especially before the Civil War. Drink. <laughs> forgot about our drinking game. <laughs> before the Civil War, drink. you know, it was. <laughs> <laughs> She's not going to let me finish. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Just take your drink first, and she's going to say it. (laughs) Slaves weren't necessarily treated as human beings. John Woolfolk actually ended up dying um, at the beginning of the Civil War in 1861, and the property and its slaves were split between his children, and the house went to his eldest daughter. 
And after the Civil War, the plantation was just broken up and sold. I mean, you got 70,000 acres, you know. That's and, a lot of acres, mm-hmm. yeah. So they ended up breaking up a lot of the property and selling it off. As far as the urban legend and the haunts at this place, people have reported cold spots in the middle of August in Georgia. No. Which is That's not, impossible. Yeah, impossible. It's not going to happen, even if your AC is running at the highest level that it can. Mm-hmm. People have heard and seen slamming doors through the house. Paranormal investigators have seen floating orbs throughout the property, shadow people on the property. Mm-hmm. Members of paranormal investigation teams have also reported being scratched and seeing an apparition of a young girl. Uh, there was a medium that visited the property that said that she could see a vision in the ma- of a man in the backyard throwing slaves into a pit and burying them. Oh, into a pit. Mm-hmm. Like a mass grave type mm-hmm. of thing? Yeah. So that's part of the urban legend is that he would torture them and then just either bury them in a pit or even one report said that, that he would bury them in the walls in the basement. No. I don't know. I know. Um, one of the biggest common occurrence with people that go inside this house is that they feel very confused and very overwhelmed and as if they're losing their sanity. Just have to get out of the house, disoriented, dizzy. It's that Georgia heat. Yeah, probably. (laughs) It is still, it's in a residential area now. I mean, there's houses all built up all around it and everything. And like I said, after John Wolfolk died, mm-hmm. you know, the property was split up, uh, his 70,000 acres, 70,000 plus acres, however much he had. One of the buyers of the property was Arthur Bussey. He purchased part of the plantation in 1907. He then sold it to the federal government in 1919 and is now the site of where Fort Benning is. Oh, okay. Fort Benning was actually renamed this year. Did you know that? I did know that. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't remember, is it Fort Freedom or something? No, Fort Moore. Fort what? Fort Moore. Moore? M-O-O-R-E. Okay. M-O-O-R-E. I don't know why I thought it was something else. So it was originally named Fort Benning after a general in the Confederate Army, General Henry Benning. It is now called Fort Moore, named after General Harold Moore and his wife, Julia Moore. Okay. Um, General Moore served during the Vietnam War, and the reason that they also named it after his wife was because during the Vietnam War, you know, when a soldier would lose their life in the army, they would just send a telegram to their family, mm-hmm. you know, sorry for your loss, you know, fought in battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, like, outraged his wife, Julia Moore, so much so that she had everything changed now to where now the military actually show up in person right. at the door to um, give their condolences and things like that. Like right. she was the big head reason of why we do that now. Mm. So I'm switching gears here. I told you I couldn't find much on the Wolf Oak, Wolf Oak Plantation, but Fort Benning was part of the Wolf Oak Plantation at one time. <gasps> that's true. So that's what we're doing now. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. So I'm just going to call it Fort Benning for the story because when the story happened, it was called Fort Benning. Right. This incident occurred in September of 1977 at 530 in the morning. They had gotten new troops in at the fort and they were all told to line up in formation and that they were going to be given kind of like instructions of what they were going to be doing over the next six to eight weeks. They had Alpha Company, Bravo Company, Charlie Company, and Delta Company all come out and line up in formation for the captains to give their speeches. Mm -hmm. 
Private John Vasquez was one of the 1,300 men that were called to formation that day. And according to Vasquez, just as the captain of Delta Company was going up to make his speech, Vasquez heard a rushing-like noise and saw a very intense bright light in the tree line. He then saw men from the Charlie Company running out of formation, and he was trying to get a better look at the time as the men were running. It was a bright bluish white light in between the tree lines, and it was so bright. Vasquez actually thought it was just like a large military truck at first, Mm -hmm. but he said the light was so intense, there's no way it could have been a vehicle that they had at the time. Hmm. Now, I don't come from like a big military family, so I don't know a lot of like the protocols and stuff. I know you you do. You've got... I don't know anything. I mean, I have military family members, (laughs) but I don't know what they do. (laughs) But I'm just thinking like for them to like run away out of formation that's like a pretty big no-no unless Uh, something yeah incredible was happening right no you don't do that so as he was looking at this light through the tree lines and other members of the battalion first infantry were running away he said that he felt himself go unconscious for just like a second and then when he came to he was standing up and looked at the soldier next to him that appeared to be in a catatonic state. Oh, wow. Yes. it was. All, he s- described it as almost being as if he was sleeping, standing up. Yeah. Immobile, not moving. He then tried to move as well to run to get to safety like everybody else and realized mm-hmm. he couldn't move the lower half of his body. Whoa. Yes. He could only move his torso and his head just a little bit. So in a panic, he yelled out to one of his fellow soldiers to help him. And one of the soldiers came back and literally, he said that they literally had to pull him almost out of this state of where he could not move. Mm-hmm. So then they take off and they start running to the tree lines. They end up taking cover in a crawl space of a building. Okay. So as all this is going on, nobody really knows what's happening. They've just seen this bright light, this loud rushing noise, um, people freaking out, people cussing, people just like, and people that are literally frozen. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. just that one soldier next to him that was frozen. It was several military members that were frozen. And like I said, there were 1,300 of them out there. Yeah. Now, this was 1977, mm-hmm. so it's still kind of the height of the Cold War. So a lot of the people were thinking that, oh, you know, that they're under attack, that Russia is oh. starting to attack. So yeah. they start going into, like, military mode. Mm-hmm not realizing what's happening. And as they were taking cover in the crawl space, they saw a large mass in the sky. They could see it moving, and as the light grew brighter, the men thought, this light is getting closer to us, and it's getting brighter to us. Like, we need to go. We need to get out of here. Yeah. So as it got really bright, John Vasquez and the soldiers that he was with took off running, and he and John Vasquez said he heard almost a robotic female voice say inside his mind, it's okay, don't be afraid. He turned around to ask if anybody else had heard it, heard that. Everybody started running, so... Yeah, there was no one to ask. Yeah, <laughs> and it, everything was just happening so quickly, and... Ugh. Anyway. He was then hit by the bright light and stopped. He said he went into, like, a trance-like state, and he even saw, like, a small dark figure in the light that almost seemed to, like, scurry away. (laughs) I know. He then heard a loud popping noise, and he said he felt like a sting, like he'd been shot. He then blacked out. Mm Mm-hmm. 
When he came to, he said he began to feel weightlessness as if he was floating and being lifted away. He then said as he felt this, that he felt the presence of two figures beside him. When he opened his eyes, one of the figures said to him, keep your eyes closed. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which he immediately did. Right. He then said that he received some type of physical examination. Oh my gosh. He was then told by the voice to go to sleep and then he lost consciousness again. Mm. When he did wake up, he said that he saw a male being and was terrified. He didn't even want to look at it. Right. The being then demanded that he look into his eyes. So reluctantly, he did. <laughs> he said it was almost like watching a television screen inside the eyes, like he could see images being flashed. Yeah. Um, the first image that he saw was actually an image of himself standing by an ocean looking up at the sky. Uh, the second image was of a planet just exploding and being destroyed. Okay. The third was an image of a humanoid-like creature that was pale in skin, had no hair, and that his eyes looked like liquid mercury. Mm, okay. He said just as the image faded away, he lost consciousness again. And then when he woke for the last time, he was standing back in formation at the base, waiting for the speech from the captain, just <gasps> as he had earlier that day. What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> Although he did notice this time he was in the fourth row, and when he was there that morning, he was in the second row. Mm, um, somebody did not have much continuity, and they <laughs> put the people back. <laughs> yes. Immediately after he awoke, he looked around, he saw all the men back in formation, and they were ordered to all go back to their barracks. He said he, they didn't even hear a speech from the captain or any of the sergeants or anything like that, like they were planning to do. Yeah. He said as he, as he was on the way back to the barracks, he checked the time to see what time it was. And on his watch, it said 7.30 p.m. Well, so, that, like, they had been out there for two hours or something. Well, they were supposed to be out there at 5.30 a.m. Yeah. So, oh, p.m. Oh. Yes. So there's that okay. time that's mm -hmm. lost. Um, he also asked some other soldiers, you know, if they had the time. And one person said it was 3 a.m. One person said it was 4.45 a.m. Hmm. Just all different types of times on their watches. Yeah. As the men were going back to their barracks, Vasquez said he noticed that a lot of them were disoriented. Some of them were vomiting, mm. um, dizzy, passing out. And then he said when he got back to the barracks, he actually started getting sick and vomiting as a lot of the other men were. Yeah. So do you know what is happening here? I mean, sounds like an alien abduction <laughs> <laughs> at Fort Barracks. Fort Benning. There, uh, yep. 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 There. Yes. Fort so, Barracks. Yeah. Fort Benning. Yeah. I don't know what else it could be. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So, John Vasquez says that he was abducted by aliens in 1977 at Fort Benning. Although, he didn't end up recalling this until 1989 when he went, underwent hypnotherapy. Oh, really? Yes. So, ever since then, he's been adamant on all these things that have happened. Mm -hmm. So, not only during this time that he was at Fort Benning, we had the large abduction where several men were being abducted by aliens. Throughout the next weeks of the training, there were actually other occurrences that happened. One of them was when his company, he was in Delta Company, was out on a training exercise. And they were in the woods and they were going to move to a different area in Fort Benning, which is, it's a huge area. So there's plenty of 
places to go, that they were actually surrounded by some type of force field that kept them from moving mm. in the position that they were in. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is that they witnessed what looked to be another company out on the training exercise. And it was at night. And as they were looking at them, they looked like shadowy type people. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they just disappeared. Hmm. There's also a story about a shootout with a UFO during his time at Fort Benning where even helicopters were brought in and they were all shooting at this mysterious object and that he was even hit by like one of the light beams on his leg and developed some type of rash. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a crazy story. He wrote a book about it. It's called The Incident at Fort Benning. So he believes that all this all this stuff had happened there's no one else that i could see that has come forward and said yes this happened i've read a few things where some people said they were stationed there in 1977 and they don't know what he's talking about Mm -hmm. and things like that so it's been kind of hard to to corroborate his story yeah seeing as how nobody remembers but if your brain is being wiped out right it's like come on just try this hypnosis thing But nobody remembers it. Um, There isn't any documentation on it, of course. But yeah, so there's apparently aliens hanging around the military bases, which isn't unbelievable. Yeah. If you were going to hang out anywhere, if you were an alien, I guess that's probably where you would want to be. That's where you'd want to study. You want to keep tabs on them. Yeah. What are y'all doing? Mm -hmm. What is it? What is that? (laughs) Yep. So (laughs) it was. If you guys read the book, I've read through some of it, and it was just in. It, it goes into a lot more detail, and there's a lot more language about military exercises that I can't even tell you or even begin to understand of what they were doing. Yeah, out in the woods and stuff like that. Um, but these are very like intense training exercises. So you know, I'm sure people go without sleep for days. I'm sure yeah. you know there's all kinds of things that happen. But this story, I was just like, I've never heard of this before. Mm-hmm. You know, in just like the recent years, the government's been kind of forthcoming about yeah there's ufos yeah yeah so i wonder if there would ever be a time where they actually say like yeah this happened at four minutes <laughs> maybe you know it's only a matter of time you know all the information that's out there now compared to compared to back in the 70s uh, i think it's only a matter of time before they're like yep mm-hmm. but Yes, Tom DeLonge out there leading the charge. Oh, yes, Tom DeLonge, (laughs) yes, to the stars. Also not a sponsor, but Tom DeLonge, if you want to get on the sponsor train with us, please let us know. Tom and Target. (laughs) (laughs) So that's just kind of my story about the Wolf Oak Plantation slash Fort Benning alien abduction. I don't know if you consider it cheating, but I did because it was part of the plantation Um, Like I said, I couldn't find a lot on the House of a Thousand Cadavers, and you would think that you would with a name like that, but there's just not that much out there. Yeah, what is happening? (laughs) A Thousand Cadavers. What is that? Yeah. So I just switched gears, and I was like, alien abduction. Doing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't think that you cheated. It's still the same place. Yeah. It was once the same place. It just split off. Yeah. Divided. But yeah, if you want to look more into it, uh, he... There's also a video on YouTube of him talking about it, and okay. he's very open about these events happening and, and all that. Um, there's a lot of information out there about that if you're interested into it. And there's a couple podcasts that have done some really good episodes way better than mine <laughs> on on the story. But I bet they didn't talk about the plantation. <laughs> That's true. They didn't do a crossover. Wow. Alien abduction at Fort Benning. Columbia. Mm. Nope. Columbus, Georgia. <laughs> 
I used to have like a really big fear of like alien abductions and stuff. I don't know what, where it like stemmed from. I was probably watching too many alien movies <laughs> when I was a kid, but now so much now aliens haven't really been on the forefront of my eye mind until now. Yeah. Thanks Lisa. Well, I mean the way I look at it, it's like, you know, everything's fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's fine. Yeah. there's it, It's fine. I mean, if they haven't learned enough by now, right? Then, you know, surely they know everything now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not really on on my mind either. But I don't I don't want the men in black showing up at my door. I'm sorry. So anyway, so yep. So uh, Wolf Oak Plantation, Fort Benning, Columbus, Georgia. Fun. Isn't uh, that one's a neat one? It's a mm-hmm. different one. Mm-hmm. So I like that one. In addition to the now three places that we've covered in Columbus, Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Four <laughs> actually. Really? We had a fourth. Well, we had the Springer Opera House, the yeah. Fisher House, yeah. the Wolf Oak Plantation. Oh, yeah. And Fort yeah, Benning. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And too. that book I was telling you all about, like, there is a lot of good other stories in there. That Small So if, I, if there. I go back to Columbus, I got something else. It Was that in that book, the Fort Benning thing? Yes. That story was in there, which made me, like, the reason I bought the book was to learn more about the Wolf Oak House mm-hmm. and the House of house of a thousand cadavers but then i was like well i'm gonna read the whole book you yeah. know and then i read that story about fort benning and i was like mm, i gotta I gotta put this out there that's pretty awesome so, so this is you know not ghosts but paranormal you know i mean think about it though could it have been ghosts it may it could have been it could have been i mean although they said they saw ufos that's so, yeah <laughs> like there, there was a shootout with ufos at one time but yeah um but I don't know. Like I said, it was it was also a land of um, Native Americans for centuries, you know. So that's probably it. Probably does have some type of major energy over there that mm-hmm. that aliens would be attracted to. I would think. Maybe. Oh, cool. I like it. So, are we ready to go to Columbia? I think that we're ready to go back to Missouri. Missouri. And I call it Missouri. I don't call it Missouri. In my in my like research and stuff, I did keep running across that where some people call it Missouri. I call it Missouri. Missouri. Mm-hmm. I've never heard it Missouri. Maybe I is think that I how have. they is that how they say it? They there? may, but you know, that, I'm, I'm going to say Missouri. Missourians, let us know. <laughs> so what I did was I did some googling. I always start with the Google. And I originally had another place that I had in mind and I abandoned it because it was kind of like an urban legend type of thing. Mm -hmm. And it also had a like a resolution to it. And I was like, well, uh, it almost kind of like an exorcism type of thing. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that because (laughs) now everything's fine. So. Moving on. I know. But so what I did was I chose a college, a private women's college out in Columbia, Missouri. Okay. Called the Stevens College. Have you heard of Stevens College? No. Well, you know, it's it's a thing. It's an all women's college, you said? It is. It's actually the second oldest women's educational establishment that is still in operation today. Oh, okay. Only women only today? Women only, yeah. It's okay. still only only a women's college. It is about 190 years old. So it was founded in 1833. And at that time, it wasn't called Stevens College. It was called Columbia Female Academy, which was kind of like a, like a women's finishing school type of thing. And so it, wa- it operated as Columbia Female Academy from 33 to 1856. 
1856, it became the Columbia Female Baptist Academy. Operated like that for a little while. And then somewhere around 1870 is when it was chartered as Stevens College. And it was named after this guy, James L. Stevens, which it said that he, he endowed the college $20,000 to help get it chartered and stuff. And at, at that time, I'm sure $20,000 was a lot, but I'm like, right. 20000 today! Right. And you get a college named after you. An all-female all college right. named after a dude. A dude! <laughs> yeah. So, present day, it is primarily like a liberal arts college. It is, you know, a lot of drama, um, heavily focused on drama and the arts and things like that. But they do have some other, like, master programs and stuff, and I saw counseling and different other degrees. But it is one of four all-women's colleges to have sororities on campus. A little interesting little tidbit. So okay. here's just a little few little tidbits. And in 2004, you'll appreciate this, they opened a uh, pet-friendly residential halls. So that means Ooh. that you can have your little dorm, but you can also have pets in your dorms and nice. stuff. And they also allow students to... Um, in exchange for scholarships to, like, foster animals and stuff. Oh, so, wow, really? Sign me up. So. But uh, being that it is an all-women's college, it's missing something that lots of colleges have. A football team. Oh! <laughs> I was like, what? I know! All-women's college, so no football team. But they participate, you know, in basketball, soccer, softball, volleyball, etc. All the other women's sports. And then also thought it would be interesting too to know who are maybe some of the notable students that have gone to Stevens College. And now there there were a list of other people that went on to do great things like some politicians and activists and people in legislator and there was an astronaut and U.S. ambassador and, you know, all, all that. Right. But these are the notable people to me, which are mostly the, <laughs> the artists, okay? Ooh. One is the great Joan Crawford. <gasps> Eyebrows. <laughs> Eyebrows. <laughs> now, Joan enrolled in 1922 at Stevens, but she did not complete. Um, she didn't graduate. She actually, I think, only was there for a few months before she dropped out and said that she just wasn't ready for college. And if you know anything about Joan Crawford, she lived a pretty tragic life, so she was probably just ready to go hit Hollywood at that point. Right. Another uh, notable enrollee was Annie Potts. You know who Annie Potts is? From, uh, from Ghostbusters? Yeah! Yeah! From Ghostbusters! <laughs> Janine Mel also had Pretty in Pink on here, too. <laughs> She went to Stevens. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, Jennifer Tilly went to Stevens. Okay, yeah. You know, from Chucky. Don Wells okay. went. You know, she played Marianne in Gilligan's Island. And then, probably like more recently, uh, Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. No. And, and, and uh, Encanto? No? no? Nothing? She's basically <laughs> a Disney princess now. Oh, After being she? in Encanto. Yeah. Was she the main one? In yeah, the one okay. with the glasses. Okay, Maribel. Yeah. Maribel. You never watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine? No. You seem like a Brooklyn Nine-Nine person, Lisa. I, I would have thought that you would have watched that one. Is that with Andy Samberg? It is with Andy Samberg. No. Well, give it a shot. I do like Andy Samberg, but I just could never get into that show. Like, I tried. I tried. Couldn't get into it. Gave it a it. shot? Yeah. Well. So, those were students. Another 
like notable person that was affiliated with Stevens was Maud Adams, which um, she was actually a very famous actress. We'll talk about her a little bit later, but she played the first Peter Pan on Broadway. Oh. And Peter Pan was yeah. historically played by a female, but she was the first Peter Pan on Broadway. Nice. And, you know, this is big liberal arts college and stuff. So they, they also have um, something called the Warehouse Theater Company, which is a student run playhouse. Okay. So with Maude Adams, she was a incredibly famous um, American actress and even stage designer. She was affiliated with the college because she was in charge of the Stevens Drama Department from 1937 to 1949. And so she was the chairman of the drama department and she was a teacher over there, a professor. Like I said, she was best known as playing Peter Pan in 1905 on Broadway. Wow. And she was also the most successful and highest paid performer in her peak with a yearly income of more than a million dollars a year. Wow. Yeah, think about that in like 1905-ish. Oh, wow. A million dollars a year. So she was peak as wow. far as uh, performers go. Um, she also, she was more than just a performer. She was also heavily involved in behind the scenes stuff. She worked production design and lighting. Um, she also uh, was consulted in like the Peter Pan costume design as well. And that Peter Pan collar that is like a famous, right? you know, design element was, you know, partly her design. But as far as production design and lighting, she uh, held three light bulb patents as an inventor. So not only was she incredibly talented and wealthy, but also smart. Wow. Right? Yeah. So in 1918, she retired from performing for a little bit. I think she had influenza is what they said and just really bad case of it. And so she went into a temporary retirement. And in the 1920s, for a good while, she worked with GE to work on the patents for more powerful stage lighting. And she also worked with Eastman Company to develop color photography pieces, right. which her light actually became the Hollywood standard for motion pictures. Oh. And a lot of people think that was probably the catalyst behind why she was working so hard on these is because she was wanting to jump from stage to film. Mm -hmm. And in order to make film successful, they had to have stronger lights and they right. had to, you know, do all this. So she did that for a while in the 20s. And then in 1931, she had had like a 13-year retirement. She began acting again a little bit, some Shakespeare plays. And then she did that for a while. And then, of course, 1937 to 49 is when she was taken on by the Stevens Drama Department. She uh, never married. She did have a couple of partners, though. She was actually a, a lesbian and she was buried by one of her partners in 1953 at the age of 80. It Aww. looks like she uh, had a heart attack at one of her summer homes in oh. New York. And so, one of her summer homes. One of her summer homes. <laughs> Very famous. Another interesting little tidbit is that the character Elise McKenna, which is from the book and the movie Somewhere in Time, did you ever see that? No. It had Jane Seymour and Christopher Reeves in it. It was one of oh, my dad's favorite movies. Okay. I know what you're talking about. I've never seen it. Oh, I've seen see 
little bits and pieces yeah, of it. Yeah. Well, that was actually based on Maud Adams, the main character of Elise, oh. being that famous stage. Jane Seymour? Yeah, Jane Seymour's character is based off of her. So I'm just going to like put a little bookmark in there, but that's just another notable thing about Stevens was that they had on staff in the late 30s and throughout the 40s, like one of the most famous actors of the time. You know, this was a very old college, or is still, it's Mm -hmm. still in operation. We're going to talk about a few different areas in the college There's three main quads or squares that I want to focus on because there's the campus has about 35 different structures, but we're going to focus on like mm, six or eight of them. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So one of them most notoriously for being haunted is the historic senior hall. Looking at it from the outside, it is, it's a beautiful campus, first of all, all over. But it looks like it's primarily three stories, but then there's some parts of it where it looks like it may be four or five stories even. It even has a bell tower attached to it too, which is really cool. Yeah. In 1857, uh, that's when the school acquired the building and... From that point, 1857 to 1918, the historic senior hall was the only dormitory at that time. So many people feel like this building is the tie to the campus's past. Um, okay. So in 1987, it went to a restoration and it was rededicated in 1990. So it had a little little bout there where it didn't have anyone living in it. It is a part of the Register of Historic Places, as well as Hickman Hall, Columbia Hall, Wood Hall. But we're going to start at the um, Historic Senior Hall. Okay. And there is this main story that kept coming up when I was doing the research about Stevens College. I read some stories that seemed almost like erotic fan fiction. I know it was really weird how some of these stories and I just I took my own notes from a few different ones so if it starts to seem like wow you're giving a lot of detail <laughs> I'm just pulling from different sources okay? Okay. okay so there was this woman this is going to be the story about Sarah June Wheeler and a Civil War soldier drink so in 1862 <laughs> The Civil War was, of course, raging through Missouri, or Missouri, depending on where you're from. Right. And this story takes place after the Confederate, led by Sterling Price, were defeated in Arkansas, you know, neighbor to Missouri, and left Missouri open. So the Union was moving into Missouri and moving into Columbia, and the college had already been in operation at that time, right, for 30-plus mm-hmm. years, And the college dean and the president were really fearful of the young female student's safety. Right. Like, you can imagine the soldiers probably didn't have the best reputation for being gentlemanly, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) To to put, put put it one way. And Sarah June Wheeler was a student. And it said that she returned back to her room after dinner one night. And that's when she found a soldier climbing through her window and, like, stumbling into her room. So she was shocked, you know, to say the least, but more so that he was a Confederate soldier. He had on 
the grays. He didn't okay. have on the blues right. like the people that were all around the, right. you know, the region. A little out of place. Uh-huh. And so before she could even call for help, it said that he muffled, <laughs> he muffled her ha- mouth with his hand. And then they, you know, wrestled. There was a little bit of a scurry. And, you know, then he slumped to the ground just unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was incapacitated and Sarah's dorm roommate, her name was Margaret Baker. Then she entered and it was said that she was loyal to the South. So they, instead of going to go get help and say like, Hey, this dude is up in our dorm and we're right. running away and trying to get help and stuff. They, you know, checked him for injuries. Some said that he was injured. Some said that he was just like incredibly hungry and passed <laughs> out from hunger. And so they just, they nursed him back to health with food and water. Okay. And he said that his name was Corporal Isaac Johnson of Mississippi. Okay. So he's a little ways away. Mm-hmm. And uh, some stories say that he was actually an escaped prisoner that he had been captured in that skirmish that happened over in Arkansas and that he was taken to prison in Illinois, but he was traveling. I mean, that's a long way to travel. Right. But I don't know how they do things back then. I so. don't know. But so he was traveling by night and resting by day and hiding by day. And there was also this story that his father had been killed in Nashville and so he was coming to Columbia to kill the Union General Hollick that had killed his father. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. 100% like that. 100%. <laughs> this general killed his father, and now he is prepared to make the trek all the way to Columbia to find this man who killed his father. <laughs> How many fingers do you have on your hand? <laughs> Okay, okay. So he, he's got a mission. He didn't just stumble upon there. Now, I don't know why he decided to pick this women's college and this window, <laughs> right. but we'll see. Maybe he was lonely. Maybe. <laughs> so the girls agreed to help keep him safe. And this room that they were in, of course, was located in the historic senior hall. Some say that their room was actually beneath the bell tower. So over the next few days, some say just three days, um, very it was a very short, brief, but passionate affair. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> and Sarah and Isaac talked for long hours over those next few days, oh. and they fell in love. Oh. You know, they talked into the wee hours of the morning oh. until daybreak. I'm so in love with you. <laughs> But first, let me kill the man who killed my father. <laughs> As women do, sometimes we start talking. And someone let it slip that a rebel soldier was being sheltered by a woman at the college. <sighs> so General Hollick, a.k.a. the Six-Fingered Man, <laughs> warned the school that, you know, if they didn't provide the man and if he was not captured, then they would shut the school down. They were still letting the school operate, even though there was, you know, there's a war going on out there, but y'all still get your education. (laughs) Right. So Isaac and Sarah, they made a plan for them to disguise Isaac in a suit and escape to Canada. 
They even say, like, they took a a suit. They stole a suit from the dean of the college, (gasps) you know. And, again, details that are like, how? How do we know this? Somebody's making this up. (laughs) But their secret got out. And the girls, there was, like, a swarm of girls that came to Sarah's room and told she and Isaac to turn himself in because they, they didn't want for anybody to get in trouble and they wanted to keep going to school, right? Priorities. <clears throat> and this crowd got the attention of the dean and the president and General Halleck. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. And Isaac Johnson, the Civil War soldier, drink, turned himself in and begged that the girls be able to remain at the college and that he'd been hiding there without their knowledge. <gasps> like... Taking one for the team. Look at that. Stand up, dude. So he was arrested as a spy Mm. because he was no longer wearing the uniform. He was wearing the Dean's suit, right? (laughs) Right. So he wasn't get. I say suit. We're talking 1861, so it wasn't a proper suit. Right. But, you know, period clothing. (laughs) (laughs) And as a spy... He was caught behind enemy lines and was sentenced to death. So he was no longer, he, he didn't have those soldier rights, <gasps> which, like, he would have been captured oh, and, like, taken to yeah, prison or something. okay. Three days later, he was executed in front mm. of Senior Hall by firing range. Oh. And it said that when the last shots were fired, the bell tower rang, <gasps> which was unusual. And it was a short time later that Sarah's body was found with the bell tower rope around her neck and she had taken her own life. OMG. You know the movie Clue? Yes. Where at the end of the movie they're like, or maybe this happened. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Well, an alternate ending. Okay. <laughs> Other stories say that Sarah and her lover Isaac actually did escape. And they were on their way to Canada. This is the version I want. Well, I mean, you think, but it, it's <laughs> alleged not. that they actually died in route of their escape oh. and they drowned in a nearby flooded river, the oh. Missouri River. This version is a little bit more wildly accepted, too, because the bell tower that I mentioned earlier that was in Senior Hall wasn't actually built until, like, the 1870s or so. so oh, okay. So how could she have done that when the bell tower didn't even exist yet? Right. Or maybe this happened. No. I thought it was the end. Alternate ending number three. So the last alternative is that he was actually the one that was hung outside of Senior Hall. And then she threw herself from the bell tower that didn't exist yet. Well, I'm not going with number three. So the stories of Sarah and Isaac, they may be legend. And some think it's told to just kind of explain some of the strange things that occur at Senior Hall, uh, just to help students understand some of the ghostly events that they encounter and that take place in the building. So now that you've heard a little bit of like one of the biggest legends and what people mostly attribute the haunts to, now I'm just going to kind of get into some of the things that people experience. So starting with the historic Senior Hall, they say that it's haunted by the pair of lovers right Right. that they are searching for each other in the next afterlife some say that if you sit which i saw a video okay of like a tour of each one of these buildings Mm -hmm. that they have on on youtube the senior hall has like multiple parlors throughout it with like pianos and things and it's just very 
very period looking of the time. So okay. they also use it for like, they've got some areas with like performance studios and dance studios and stuff. So it says that if you sit in the ballroom, then she'll actually come and she'll play the piano. Oh. And that she's dressed in like a period light blue, long dress, and she's got blondish and rust colored hair. So it's, mm. she's pretty like, Animated, I guess. You know, okay. it's not just like a blob. You can actually see her. Class A. Class A, Pond. You can also see her and him, I think, too, walking the base of the bell tower. Oh. Now, there's some other places, too. There's the Pillsbury and the Robley Dorm Hall, which I don't know if that's Robley or Robley, but I'm going to okay. go with Robley. And I put those two together because I looked at a map of the campus, and these buildings are actually adjoined. Okay. So I think that's why they're kind of looped in together. So it's said that there are three ghostly women that have been nicknamed the Blue Ladies that Ooh. sing to students lullabies. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. I, I, I don't know why. I don't want to be saying <laughs> Thanks, but no thanks. And it says that they actually tuck students into bed at night. Uh-uh. I'm you, good. You wouldn't like that? I'm good. I don't need to be tucked in. I'm fine. Just a little tuck in? No. Just to put the blanket just right under your chin. Go and away. sing you a lullaby. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there were a few experience stories about the blue ladies. And one person said that they're actually referred to as the tuck-in ghosts. <laughs> And, you know, that they're really, that they're really nothing to be afraid of. And they're actually quite nice. You know, it's, it's nice. Somebody cares about me. I'm good. (laughs) I don't want a blue lady coming to tuck me in. I'm fine. Well, you know, menacing or not, anything that appears to me, I'm going to be put off by it. I'm not going to like it. Right. People also mention in the Pillsbury or Robley dorm halls, um, the white lady in the basement of the Mm. Pillsbury hall and that she actually has her own room down there. And they say, don't go in it. They didn't say why, but they say, do not go. Do not enter. So is it just like a blocked off room that nobody goes into? It's her room? Uh, Interesting. Yeah. It's weird. It Mm -hmm. is weird. I did see some... Some, like, basement footage, not of, I don't think it was from the Pillsbury. It might have been from the Pillsbury. But anyways, doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) But their basements are very much, like, finished. Like, it's just, like, another floor. You're just, there's no windows because it's the basement. Right. So, Hmm. it's not going to be, like, a a dark, damp, you know, unfinished anything. But, yeah, the white lady in the basement of Pillsbury. Okay. Also, in 1990, another experience story was... Um, this person was on the third floor and they were taking a nap and they woke up and they found a fresh drop of blood on their roommate's bed pillow. What? So they knew that their roommate was like physically gone, right? Was nowhere around and had not been there. And they had even called their roommate to say like, Hey, did you? Stop by the dorm or anything. But they they didn't. And they were certain that it wasn't there before. And plus it was fresh, too. Right, This person just said that they washed it. (laughs) Just like ran cold water under the pillowcase and and washed it. That's what I'm going to do. Right? You're not going to just leave? You can take care of your pillowcase when you get back. But is it that they they were terrified to sleep 
in the room again, and they often felt a presence in there. Mm. And most other people, their experiences are that they just feel presences in their room. Okay. Another story experience was around 2010. Someone said that the third floor was completely shut down because I think each floor had their own, like, grade levels. Mm -hmm. And the third floor at this time was a freshman uh, floor. And they didn't have enough freshmen to completely fill that floor, so they just shut it off and packed them in other floor levels. And this person needed an extra mattress with their roommate. So they decided, hey, let's just go upstairs. Let's go to the third floor. It's blocked off. Nobody's using it. And so they went up there to grab a mattress with the roommate. And before they could even put their hand on the knob to open up one of these doors... It said three knocks came from the other side of the uh, door. Uh-uh. And they just flew out of there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they went down to the first floor and they got security to go back up there and sweep the floor with them and Smart. check everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but like all the doors were locked mm-hmm. and there was there was nobody there. They got the mattress with the security <laughs> and then they just never went back to the third floor again. Right. You know, another thing in, in these dorms is people say like things will just fall they'll fall out of their closets or things will be on countertops or desks and they'll just like fall one by one another person said that they knew that there was always this one window that nobody could open it was just stuck you Mm -hmm. know how people paint over windows and they're stuck yeah And it never opened, and many people tried. And on Thanksgiving break, the campus was pretty empty, and this person was one of the few people that was still inside of the dorms. And they said that suddenly, I don't know what happened first, either the window flew up first or there was a cold winter breeze first. But one of those two sequences, but the window flew up with nobody around. The window that would not open. Okay. Maybe, maybe it was a very hard wind. A very hard wind. <laughs> She's rolling her eyes at me. <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> Another place, which I may actually have to post a map, um, because there was a good map to be able to see reference of where all these buildings are located. We talked about the Pillsbury and the Robley. Well, like, between... That one and this other place called Tower Hall, there was a place called Circe Hall. And it said that a student actually gave birth inside of this campus and was just, I don't know, I guess too afraid of what would happen next. Maybe didn't want the responsibility. I don't know. But fearfully, it was led by fear. Um, they hid the baby in a locker instead of seeking help. Mm. And so the baby died. And so now people say that at Cersei Hall, you can hear phantom baby cries at night. Oh, I I don't like those. Those are my least favorite. You were talking about the shadow people, like the baby cries. The baby cries. I can't handle No. You don't like the lingering Mm -mm. spirits of newborn babies. Mm -mm. (laughs) Well, I mean, the story was never really confirmed. Like, there was nothing in the news or anything about finding uh, an infant, you know, newborn on campus. But that's just one of the other things. So you got Pillsbury and Robley. You got the Cersei Hall. And then 
around this, this square right here, you've also got Tower Hall. Mostly people say that Tower Hall, it's all about the fifth floor. The fifth floor is what's haunted, and it's been abandoned ever since a fire happened. Okay. Um, some say that there was also a suicide that happened up there on the fifth floor, too. But people experience, you know, mysterious sounds and footsteps, and they hear moving furniture up there. Oh. People say that they've previously closed doors. They know those doors are closed, but then they return back and they're open, yeah. you know, shortly after. And so mm. just... I shut that door. I know. This thing is, sticks. But <laughs> another story, it was around 2010 in the basement that um, these people said that they found a high chair with hand and feet straps in ah. like a, what do you call it? Like the mirror It's not like a two-sided mirror, but it's like where you can see through, but they can't see through the other okay. side. I don't know what you call that. Double-sided mirror? Is it double-sided? Uh, I it's thought like it was a two-sided mirror. Is it two-sided? <laughs> I don't Maybe. know. Yeah, where, like yeah. What you typically see in like police interrogation yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. So just very creepy. And these people were told when they found that stuff, they were told by the upper class girls that um, Stevens used to have a psychiatric hospital for kids. I don't know. That could have just been like the upperclassmen just, you know, scaring stuff. But I will say that I did find a YouTube video of this area. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, you know, this was just... You know, just one of those stories that's just right. out there that you can't can't back up. Right. But I saw a YouTube video of a couple of girls. They called themselves, or they at least called the video, Stevens College Ghost Hunters. Oh. But that's just, I think, what they called the video because there I didn't see any other content on there that they were, like, ghost hunting. Gotcha. But it was it was very amateur, but it was it was funny. Those are my favorite. <laughs> I love that. But they actually did go down to the basement and they explored it. And the it, the stuff was there. That's what was so weird about it is why would this campus have those like two-sided mirrors down there? I can't think of anything. And there were small rooms too, like as small as this. and But just had like a very large two-sided mirror in And there. the high chair was there too? Uh, the high chair was on the other side of the glass. So, like, that room was locked, mm-hmm. but you could actually go up, and they were trying to look through, oh. like, if you got really far up on it. And there were handprints all over the mirrors, too. Eh, like, well, there I'm were multiple sure. rooms that had these mirrors, and I just don't know why. I testing, mean, maybe? But what are you testing, I don't know, for down there? It was a weird one. I mean, maybe, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there were... I don't want to think about it. My mind's not going to a good place. <laughs> so I'm, but you know, there's lots of cover ups of stuff. That's all I'm going to say. Mm, yeah. Okay. Let's see where you're going. <laughs> Just kind of overall, I don't know if this is specific to Tower Hall because I, I saw this uh, as a theme throughout was that the elevators would sometimes work and sometimes not work. And mm-hmm. sometimes they would go to a floor that they decide that they want to go to regardless of what you push. Oh. That's kind of a common theme throughout the campus. Don't like that. There was also Columbia Hall, which is next to the historic senior hall, where a student said that she began to see bruises on her legs, mm-hmm. like 
every night. And she was kind of jokingly about it, and joked that maybe it was a ghost that calls them, but that was a little weird. Uh, Hickman Hall, which is one of those that's the historic places. It's across from Senior Hall. Um, and it said that there was a ghost in the basement of the costume shop. There was another another building. I think it's the Prunty or Prunty. I don't know how you pronounce it. P-R-U-N-T-Y. It's over there close to the Cersei Hall. Another basement haunt. And that one, it said that they're unsure of what it's haunted by. So whereas you've got Sarah over there showing up as class A full body right. apparitions. Playing you the piano. Yeah, just singing, playing, entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Looking for a lover. Yeah. Um, over here, it's kind of a little bit more obscure as to what it is. Hmm. Uh, the Warehouse Theater is another place that said that there's two ghosts in the Warehouse Theater. One on the main floor and then one in the auditorium up in the booth. So the next door to the Warehouse Theater is also a place called the Mecklenburg Playhouse. So this is in another kind of like performing square. And this is where people say that Maud Adams shows up. Okay. And so I was wondering when she was going to show back up. <laughs> you had to know since yeah. I did a little deep dive into her that she <laughs> would show back up eventually. So Maud, you know, she was the director of the drama department over right. there. And she had very difficult classes and that she demanded excellence of her students oh. like you could you could imagine but I think also in like a, a sincere coming from a place of I just want for you to be your best type of place are you sure I know this is me just putting words <laughs> out okay. there but I, I feel it okay. that's what I feel okay but maybe not who knows her previous students had testified that she had a specific like tapping of her feet when she was dissatisfied. And so one of these students uh, had visited the campus about a decade after Miss Adams had passed away. And they said that they were in this Mecklenburg Playhouse and they started to hear the familiar footsteps and the tap, tap, tapping feet. Mm. And then actually heard Miss Adams's voice like teaching a class and they described it as some of the the repetition of nonsense syllables that they do you know like when you're kind of like warming yeah. up and you're going through like trying to break through the tongue twisters which we should probably look those up probably that would be a good idea yeah next week we'll do that <laughs> and so Actually hearing these noises, hearing the tap, tap, tapping of her fate of dissatisfaction, but also <laughs> the the syllables, the whatever you call them. Other people say that they can also hear her reciting her favorite roles in the theater, um, maybe some Shakespeare mm. and some French plays. And other people say that they often hear her offering advice, like even showing up offering advice before a performance and then disappearing. So she would be a full apparition? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were some accounts of that, yeah. You suck, and then disappear? (laughs) Tap, tap, tap. Is that the best you can do? Bye. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, Other people say that even the academic halls are haunted by several spirits, including places like the third floor design lab 
and that the library is also very haunted. Mm-hmm. I do, I did find this like interesting story uh, that I wanted to end on. And it was something that had been written up in the newspaper about Peter Biger, B-Y-G-E-R, which he was a drama teacher at Stevens College since 1971. So I think he's still actively there. When he started at Stevens, he immediately started hearing stories about how it was haunted. Right. And so as any good new teacher would do, you decide that you want to have a seance with students on Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't love that? Oh, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say how many students he pulled together, but... He and his wife took some students, they had some punch, they had some cookies, and they went to the third floor of the historic, the historic senior hall, and they went on a mission to the bell tower room. Mm. That's something else that I can put on social media is show pictures of the bell tower room because it looks very much abandoned. Like, it's not, it doesn't look like it's in operation. So what they did was they were on their way up there, and they passed by a man who was up there. Like a, like a real, like, flesh-and-blood man. And his name was Bob Gassaway. And Bob was actually there for his own little Halloween story. And he was a reporter for the Columbia Tribune, and he was actually camped out for, for this story on Halloween, and he was going to release it the next day of, like, what happened inside of Stevens Hall? So he went by himself yeah. to do something, and then they showed up? Yeah, they show okay. up, and they see him. They're on their way over to the bell tower okay. room, and they pass him, so they know that he's there. Okay. And so they get situated inside the tower room, the bell tower room, and they actually light candles at midnight, and they're they're starting their seance, mm. and the door slams shut, and the candles blew out. <gasps> and of course, there's that one girl that is freaking out, which right? would probably be me, <laughs> and you. I think we probably both would. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I but would. she starts screaming, and she passes out. <gasps> okay, and then what? They can start hearing commotion. In the hallway, and everyone just froze, and they're just listening, and there's just, they can't tell, like, what's going on, but something is going on outside of the door. And then all of a sudden, Peter Biger, who was the the drama teacher, he goes to the door and opens it to check it out, and it's the reporter trying to get in. Oh! So remember, we've got the the guy, Bob Gassaway, who's doing his own story. Right. Now, suddenly, he's like, let me in, let me in. Oh. So there is this story that he puts out on November 1st, 1971, in the Columbia Tribune that I was going to read just a little excerpt of it. So Gassaway recounted his story in the Columbia Tribune, November 1st, 1971, and he says, There was the sound of slow steps at first, Gassaway wrote. When they stopped, deep breathing became audible, and I saw a figure of a man. Then the swish of a woman's long skirt caught my eye as the man dropped into a half-crouch, his hand outstretched as though to ward something off, and then both figures disappeared down the stairs quietly. So this freaked him out. Well, yeah. He saw something. (laughs) That would freak me out. (laughs) So Biger, who's letting him in the room, he's not sure, you know, 
what he saw. Did he see some students? Did he see other people up there? Or did he see ghosts? You know, they let him in. And then Biker goes and he helps that one fainted student. (laughs) (laughs) And then they basically, they all just like pack up and go home. But the story is not quite over. Because that same night, Biker gets a call at 3 a.m. in the morning. Mm -mm. Witching hour. No. And it was actually two girls that had been calling him that were students. And they were coming back from a party and they were passing by Senior Hall. And they were met by a woman apparition in a gown. And she told the girls that Biger was no longer welcome in the historic Senior Hall, but that his wife was. And that this apparition called them by name. And the two girls were just hysterical right and go and they call biger and biger says that he still feels you know strange going over there to this day right but that's 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 basically it you have been told not to go back do not go back don't go back don't even think about going back send another reporter tribute sorry (laughs) i was warned at three o'clock in the morning not to return so they, the, the, the college basically, they, it seems like everything that I saw, they embrace this type of stuff. Over right. There. Um, you know, being a liberal arts college, they, they put on events, they do ghost tours, they dress up, they have multiple annual tours. There was even an Instagram group that I found dedicated uh, to the quote, ghosts of Stevens. Oh. But I do like this last thing. I saw that there's this one professor of history that's been over there since 1967, and his name is Dr. Havid. He doesn't believe. Dr. Havid's not a believer. Okay. We're all out there, right? But he said that he just feels like people dream these things up. And, you know, it's natural because it's an old building. Right. You know, a door slams in an old building, and people think it's a ghost. But he also understands that it's something that students need. They need to adhere to something you know, colleges need that, especially ones without football teams. <laughs> Zing. Zing. So wow. that's the Stevens College. Yes. Wow. That was a really good story. It seems like you can't walk around anywhere without stepping into your neighborhood-friendly ghost. Yeah. It seems like it's a really active campus. Lots of stories throughout, throughout the place. I stayed in Columbia, though. You did. I'm I so did. proud of you. <laughs> Man, but that was good. That was, that was, there was a lot there. I'm going to have to go look some stuff up now. Yeah. One of the things that I, I missed was that there weren't a lot of like video footage. That I couldn't find anything where somebody had captured a picture right. of a ghost or an apparition. I couldn't find anything except for that one where people went and did like a little ghost haunt and explored around. It's a small campus, not in size, but in uh, attendance. I think it said that there's like 500 students, which is like a high school. Yeah. You know, so it's it's just a really like tight knit community. I could see how stories could spread easily, Mm -hmm. especially the the erotic fan (laughs) fiction. Sarah and Isaac. Well, that was really good. I really enjoyed it. I'm like on the edge of my seat. I want to know where we're going next. Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going to go first. Okay. Because I, I got the app pulled up. All right, here we go. Let me get my pen and pad ready. 
Where we going, people? Random. Let's see. Nope, not California. Not California. Arkansas, North Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, okay. So uh, this is going to be interesting. It's not Little Rock, Arkansas. We're talking North Little Rock, Arkansas. All right, ma'am. So this place, it says even, um, it's got 66,000 people okay. in North Little Rock. Okay. So it's a little community. A little, little smaller. Yep. All righty. Let's see. Here we go. Random. Random. Norman, Oklahoma. Norman, Oklahoma. 118,000 people. Okay. Okay. That's re- that's that's big. I've never heard of Norman, Oklahoma. I haven't either. If you know of a good place in Norman, Oklahoma, give me a shout. Let me know. Or if you know something in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Not Little Rock. North Little Rock, Arkansas. I'd be curious. Well. Well. Time to right. start. Start doing some research. I know. Here we go. Next time we'll be at Norman, Oklahoma and North Little Rock, Arkansas. Until next time, everybody. Boo y'all. Boo y'all.